The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Welcome to a brand new episode of your Paul Leslie Hour. Are you there? Don't leave because I have a great, great guest, our very own Dave Martin. Not only are we going to meet Dave, but he's going to be playing some songs for you. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to remind you there's an easy way you can keep the show going. Go on thepaulleslie.com and click support the show. It takes 10 seconds and makes a world of difference. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to focus in on one particular artist on this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. Dave Martin is a part of the great American tradition of singer-songwriters. He's released his album, entitled Imagination in Focus. Dave Martin is somewhat reminiscent of Todd Snyder, with a touch of Arlo Guthrie and Jimmy Buffett, maybe a smattering of Steve Goodman and Randy Newman. You could say he writes and performs story songs. It's a great pleasure to welcome this Illinois-based singer-songwriter, recording artist, Dave Martin. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, hi, Paul. Thank you very much for having me on. It's, uh, it's nice to be here with you today. It's an honor. When anybody listens to your songs, you're going to find quite a number of topics, even just from looking at the titles, they're really, really compelling. <laughs> they're interesting and not typical from what you maybe would see with other writers. Where do you get these ideas for your songs? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I kind of, I adhere to the idea of, you know, if you go move throughout the world with the antenna up a little bit and and try keeping, you know, I try to keep my mouth shut and, and ears open. And, uh, you know, that sounds a little cliched, but I think it does lead to stories. I think that to be a good writer in any capacity, you first have to be a good reader. I like to read books. I, you know, I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm very discerning in, in what I read. If it's interesting, I'll read it, you know. So I've, I've read great fiction. I've, I've read, uh, you know, there's, there's a Key West, the Alex Rutledge, the a Key West uh, murder mystery kind of series. I, I'm into that. I like a lot of historical books, so there's that. And then sometimes, you know, sometimes if there's something that's happening in the world topically, I'll get into that arena and write about those types of things occasionally. And it's just that becomes a conscious decision of, okay, this is crazy. This craziness is happening out there, and I got to write a song about it. I got to, you know, I need to use this, the mechanism of humor to kind of offer or maybe warrant, grant myself some perspective about a certain thing that might be happening in the world. But uh, so occasionally I'll, I'll do topical stuff, but. Usually, you know, it's just, yeah, it's reading, keeping an open mind, and, and wherever that leads me, that's where the song goes. Listening to your music, I was sure that you were somebody who liked reading books. And you mentioned the Alex Rutledge mystery novels. But tell us about some of the other favorite books of yours. Sure. Probably the, the funniest book that I have ever read, I think, would have to be a Confederacy of Dunces, 
you know, about uh, Ignatius Riley, this de- delusional guy down in, down in New Orleans. Uh, who was that? That was uh, John Kennedy Tool, I think, wrote that book. I, I really liked uh, I really like Vonnegut, and so Slaughterhouse Five has been a, a you know kind of a mainstay in my stable of books. So those are a couple of examples, and I'm kind of looking at the bookcase behind me right now to see you know if I had to put like a third one in there in the top three. Oh, I don't know. That's a that's a variable. You know, I, I read uh, the start of quarantine here. In the springtime, I read a couple of epic tomes. I read Lonesome Dove, Larry McMurtry. I love that book. And just, you know, just a rich, rich story. Um, love that book. And uh, I also read David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest. And, and that was a, a great story with some keen insight to a specific, you know, uh, subset of the population, namely addicted people. That was a fascinating look. So... Well, the title track of the album is Imagination in Focus, which is really, really an intriguing title. But tell us about that song. Sure. Yeah. So so that's that title. Imagination in Focus, I think, is kind of a, a mission statement for what follows what is on the album. You know, they are. The, the, I really believe that when when things look too ugly out there, we can always retreat into our imagination. And, and kids, it's so alive and kids. And then, you know, unfortunately, as you age, it's one of those things that in some cases, if if we're not guarding it, the imagination can get dulled, I think. But it's so important. It's such a such an important antidote to what can happen out there in the world. So sometimes so. But the title track starts off with this love triangle gone weird Back at the turn of the last century, so about 120 years ago in 1900, there was uh, this beautiful chorus girl, Evelyn Nesbitt, who would uh, dance. She was she, So chorus girls would dance and sing on Broadway shows. And she was seduced by a Lothario architect, Stanford White. The guy was a creep. I mean, she was, you know, she was just a, a kid, really. And But he seduced her. and uh, And then later... She got married to the son of a wealthy coal baron from Pennsylvania. And this guy's name was Harry K. Thaw. And he was just flat out nuts. I mean, he was, you know, he was he was crazy. And uh, so he became enraged with jealousy directed at Stanford White, the Lothario architect who seduced his his wife before before they were married. And so he killed Stanford White. And that's where we jump off with this album. A couple other things that I would say about the song. So we have that as sort of the basis. And I I kind of start there because I think it's that, you know, there's a rich history in the American cultural fabric of kind of these bad news stories, you know, intrigue, seduction, scandal and murder. It's all there. And, and I'm compelled by that stuff, too. So I thought it would make sort of a, a good kind of a pop and a, a statement to, to start the album right there. So so that's kind of in the first verse. Then the chorus of the song is really sort of an introduction because it goes, hello there and how do you do me? I'm fine living life from my wicked right point of view and so on. But it, but that's more, of you know, that's me introducing myself then. And then we go into the bridge, which, you know, I, I take from Mark Twain has a great quote. 
you can't depend on your eyes when your imagination's out of focus. So that <laughs> appears in the bridge. I love that. That's one of my favorite quotes. He's, he's another one. You asked about writers and books, but Mark Twain's way up there in my mind. So, and, and then in the, and then in the final verses of the song, what we get into is I'm down in Chicago where I spent uh, a lot of formative time and uh, romping around the city. And I found myself at this uh, barbecue, this backyard barbecue. With a bunch of yuppies, you know, and that's fine. I, I get along with most people. and But then somewhere in there, I decided, you know, I don't want these people to be here at this barbecue with me. So there was a guitar handy, and I thought, if I start playing Jerry Jeff Walker songs, I bet you they won't get it, and I'll drive these Philistines, I call them, out of this barbecue. And, and it worked. And so that shows up <laughs> in the song. <laughs> so... So Jerry Jeff Walker, of course, you know, wrote the now standard Mr. Bojangles just died, you know, in the last month or so. And, and he was a big, big influence on me. Uh, I, I love the spirit of that guy, just truly, uh, you know, on the road and being free. So anyway, but but I digress. So that's that's the third verse. And then the final verse is it kind of culminates. So we start in New York City with that love triangle murder story that I was talking about. Then in the end. It's me coming to New York. About eight years ago, I, I went out to New York City with my brother in the summertime, and, and I really loved it. You know, it's uh, it really is the nerve center of the nation, and you get that that awesome kind of feeling and powerful place and, uh, you know, truly global city. We don't have too many of those, I don't think, in this country where... Well, I know certainly there's not a lot of places you can walk a city block, for example, and hear six different languages being spoken, which happened in New York. So, so yeah, I kind of kind of examined that my arrival to New York uh, in the last verse, and that's kind of the way the song goes. So, I'd I'd like to play it for you. Is there anything else we need to know about it, or that that was maybe a pretty exhaustive <laughs> setup there? <laughs> Well, you've piqued my curiosity. I would like to hear it. I think a lot of the listeners would like to hear it as well. Okay, great. I will grab my little mahogany guitar here and kind of back up in the chair. So excuse me if there's any chair rolling on the floor sounds. But uh, here, so here it is, imagination and focus. Here we go. I think we could have seen some 
beautiful things But honey, you can't depend on your eyes When your imagination is out of focus Wooden folk singer sings at the folk school Backyards full of yuppies swilling smug brews And in line take some of Jerry Jeff's rhymes To drive these Philistines out of this barbecue So I made it to the mighty nerve center New York, New York, I dig your vibe This whole damn thing started coming alive And singing hello there and how do you do Me I'm fine living life from my wicked arrived point of view It keeps me different Got plenty of room for characters In the land of the free Happy to have you along Won't you keep keeping on with me Oh, thank you, Paul. <laughs> and if you're listening, you can see if you can listen and see at home where the mistake uh, in the chord change was in that song, because there is a mistake there <laughs> toward the end. So, <laughs> well, you know, I mean this in the most complimentary way. It's very, very Steve Goodmanish, which I love, oh, Steve thanks. Goodman. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thank you. That's 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 really cool to hear. You know, I've I've gotten that comparison a, a couple of times from different people, and it's it's always a high compliment. And uh, Steve, you know, I, I would say that uh, for me, the constellation of artists like that, it started with Jimmy Buffett, and I got turned on to Steve Goodman's music from Jimmy Buffett, and also from the by virtue of living in Chicago. I went to grad school down at DePaul in Lincoln Park and played and took classes at the Old Town School of Folk Music. And so Stevie Goodman, when I got into that stuff, you know, the, the song that he wrote with the John Prine, You Never Even Called Me By My Name, the perfect country song. I was like, man, that stuff, that just took the roof off the house for me. I, I love that, <laughs> you know, so so it's fun to hear you say that. And I appreciate that. My pleasure. Well, Chicago, as you mentioned, being the place where Steve Goodman is just synonymous. I mean, still just such a legendary name. But there have been a lot of great singer-songwriters either from there or who passed through there. Chicago played a very big part in their story. Would you say Chicago has had a big influence on you, Dave? Well, I think that... Um I think to, yeah, uh, you know, my, my dad grew up in Chicago. And so I am the product of a family that uh, my dad was a, a, a city kid. 
grew up in, in, in one of the kind of classic working neighborhoods in Chicago in Edison Park. And my mom grew up on a, a farm in Iowa. And so I think geography and the associated culture with different geographical points are, are big inputs for a lot of people. And I know they were for me. And so, you know, Chicago, I, I, I spent a lot of time there just visiting. My grandparents would live down there. So we'd go down there when I was a kid. Then, like I said, I went to school and certainly uh, I, I did grad school down in Chicago and, and played my first gigs down there and stuff. And then certainly on the other hand, um, like where my mom grew up on the farm in Iowa, that was a huge formative influence on me as well. I spent a lot of time getting an education that was all kinds of politically incorrect from my grandfather, who was a farmer, and his his buddies at the coffee shop and stuff. And, and the farm had a big, big influence on me as well. So, And where in Illinois are you now? So now I'm in our uh, cozy little hamlet of Crystal Lake, which is I'm I, so I'm local. I'm close. I'm right near where I I grew up. This is just uh, Crystal Lake's a northwest suburb of uh, of Chicago. So that's where I'm at. Just about forty, you know, about forty five minutes outside of kind of downtown Chicago. So. How would you say that you learned to write songs? Was that something that was largely self-taught? Yeah, so that's that's a that's an interesting question. I would say this. So my my parents were, you know, a couple of war babies, baby boomers, so they they and they were big music fans. And so growing up, there were always records on, the old LP records in the house. And, you know, a pretty eclectic taste, I think. I mean, you'd always have the Beatles. You'd have some like Steely Dan, Stevie Wonder, all that kind of stuff, you know. But singer-songwriters were heavily represented, too. So I got turned on to James Taylor when I was three years old. And something about his tastefully kind of finger-picked acoustic guitar just resonated with me. And I loved the stuff from the time I was like three or four years old. So, and he happens to be good family entertainment. So my folks loaded up the station wagon when I was five. And with my brother and sister, mom and dad, we went to a James Taylor concert at Poplar Creek, which is a now defunct outdoor amphitheater. And we had our seats up on the lawn. I was a fan, like I've said, at this point already at the age of five, I brought my plastic guitar that had rubber bands for strings on it to the show and I bandied about the lawn out there at Poplar Creek, regaling people with, you know, with this plastic rubber band strung guitar, just kind of plucking around, screwing around like a kid. And then we're watching the show and I'm so awestruck by it and everything that by about, about halftime, you know, about the intermission, I was like, well, I want to go meet him. And I'd already decided long ago, this guy was my hero. And so but we noticed that there was a, a flower vendor selling individual roses and the people were buying these and taking them down to the foot of the stage. And so probably to appease me more than anything and, and figuring this is this could at least get the boy close to his his hero, JT. My dad took my sister and myself and we bought a rose and my mom and brother stayed to defend the turf out there on the lawn. And so I'm carrying this rose and we walk it down to the toward the stage like we're going to go set it on the stage our gesture of appreciation to james taylor <laughs> well i'm walking this thing and when i get down to the foot of the stage 
he finishes a song and he puts his guitar down and he comes over to me and picks me up into his arms. And I'm not making this up. This really <laughs> happened. <laughs> and uh-huh. so, yeah. And so now I'm on stage at the age of five with James Taylor. And, you know, people ask me, do you, do you remember that? You bet I do. Cause as I said, he was already my hero and it was such a, you know, such a pivotal moment. I mean, I just, and I remember he was to my five year old self. He was very sweaty and, and more wrinkled than I expected. And this didn't seem too rock and roll to me, but back toward like the wings of the stage on the, on my, as I looked to my right facing the stage, I saw a sink. There was a port, like a porcelain sink back there that was visible. And I thought, that's not rock and roll, man. But, <laughs> but it was there. And, and he said, he said, hi. And he asked me my name and I told him and he said, how old, he asked me how old I was. And I told him I was five and he asked, are you having a good time? And I said, yes, I am. And I, I remember all that clear as a bell. And so anyway, so we, that was our exchange. Then he put me down. My sister and dad are waiting there, you know, right there for me. So then we start walking and we, we have to walk all the way up the pavilion to get back to our lawn seats. So it's a long walk. And there's the spotlight is trained on me for part of that walk. No joke. And I'm getting high fives on either <laughs> side of the aisle the whole way back up to the lawn seats, you know. And I'm like, who the hell wouldn't want a career in show business, man? This is it for me. <laughs> you know, no brainer. So so that was and, and I did. And, you know, after that, I, I begged my parents and I and they were always good about, you know, hey, you guys going to work on something you want a project. All right. Sure. Learn something. That's great. So they they got me. They upgraded to a real guitar and we went into the music store so I could take lessons. And they told me, they said, well, bring him back. You know, in a couple of years, let his fingers grow a little bit and bring him back when he's a couple of years older. And uh, and we did. And so really, I think I started playing the guitar seriously when I was about by the age of 10. And, you know, shortly thereafter, maybe even immediately, I started to try to write songs. You know, it's just an extension of for me, if I was going to learn how to play an instrument and I had already gotten my first taste of, of the biz, you know, there was no doubt about it. I was going to write songs. It took a long time before anything, you know, before it was anything I'd care to share probably with anyone, but, but that's how you learn. You just start to do it. And, uh, so I think James Taylor was the principal inspiration. And then I would say that, you know, I mentioned earlier and you mentioned Buffett, well, Jimmy was, uh, you know, my folks had the, the greatest hit CD in the car. And I remember listening to that stuff and thinking, man, these are gems. These are just clever, well-written and funny songs. And they're like three, three and a half minutes long. And I thought, I can do this. And of course, I was 10. I couldn't do that. And it takes a ton of work. But you, but, but that there was something about his sensibility that really resonated with me of, of looking at the humorous side of life, you know, and that kind of thing. So I would say to follow up on that as a reward for practicing the guitar and being a good little student, uh, you know, a year or two into taking lessons, my mom bought me Jimmy Buffett's double disc, the live album, the uh, you had to be there from 1978, I think it was. And I put that thing on. 
and I, I started because Grapefruit, Juicy Fruit was on, it was the first song on the second side or the second disc. Uh, you know, by the time I came around, it was a CD, but and that was the first song, and I put that on first because I knew that song. I liked that guitar part, and I think they had the time. You know, like how long each track was, and I saw it was like eleven minutes or nine minutes or something. And I thought, Grapefruit Juicy Fruit, lucky if it's three minutes long. What is he doing <laughs> for this other? But what it was is Jimmy telling this wonderful, irreverent, crazy, you know, uh, shaggy dog tale about running around South Florida, screwing around and everything. And I and he just had the people eating out of the palm of his hand with that. And uh, that that lit my head on fire, too. That was another really. But did you hear that, you know, you could not only sing songs that were funny and clever, but tell the story of the, the genesis of the song? I mean, when, when I started performing, when I was in my early 20s, about I, I used to I'd go up and, and talk as much as I'd sing. And part of that was to get over the nerves of having to, you know, OK, now I got to go sing. If I can get these people laughing and talk to them a little bit, maybe that'll work for me, you know. So it was instructive to to hear that that Jimmy Buffett record. Really interesting stuff, and I have to say, I've heard so many accounts of uh, <laughs> of interesting show business stories, and that James Taylor, yeah, tale. That's one of the best stories I've ever heard. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, I think so, too. And I'm just just because, you know, it's just happenstance that I, you know, and I wonder, I'd like to talk to James someday. And, uh, I, you know, I'd like to meet him again now at the, and, and, and ask if he remembers, was there a time in the late 80s when you were picking up kids onto the stage? Or was I the only one? You know, I, I'd just be curious to hear if he has any recollection at all of anything like that. So. Well, James Taylor, get back to us, please. Yep. <laughs> Come on, JT. Love to talk. <laughs> I know he listened to one of the shows that we did a while ago because he, um, he commented on it and shared it on his Facebook page. So maybe he'll hear this. I hope so. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it'd be great to, to chat with, with James, you know, just a, just a great, great guy. I love his story, man, you know. What would you say is your favorite James Taylor song? Oh, that's a good question. You know, that's a, I mean, you, you got songs like Carolina in my mind, sort of standard bearers or, or something like, uh, I know he has said that like Sweet Baby James has got a really complex kind of rhyme scheme that he's happy with. And it is like the quintessential cowboy lullaby song. And, uh, you know, so those are good. I, I like, you know, from uh, from Sweet Baby James, 1970, I like, what is that? Sweet for 20G, which I think, yeah, this is the story on that is that he got, the record was done, or almost done, and, or, I th you know what it was? He, he got a $20,000 advance from the record company, and he needed one more song. And so he mashed up, you know, these three songs that he was working on. Three totally disparate songs. There's one that's like, uh, you know, it's got like a blues thing going on in there. And then another one's like more of a folk song. And But anyway, he put the three of them together. It's like a six minute track. And he called it Sweet for 20G because 
after he wrote that song, you know, and he got the advance, boom, he, he got his suite or whatever. I don't know. A suite of songs is was the story there, but he got his 20G and off he went. So that's a cool song, good energy. And then, I, you know, I like some of his, I like all of James really, but from the later albums or that middle distance, maybe Copper Line's a, a very sort of evocative song to me. Do you have a favorite, Paul? Oh, Copper Line is up there. That's that's definitely one of them, a killer song. Mm-hmm. And also, what comes to mind just immediately would be Close Your Eyes. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. That. yeah. Yep, yep. Gorgeous stuff. What about perhaps a favorite Buffett song of yours? Yeah. Gosh, you know. And that's a tough one, too. You know, I, I think sometimes when if I'm going to play for people and say, OK, well, yeah, you know, Cheeseburger in Paradise and Margaritaville and stuff. But, you know, let's get into the, the deeper cuts. I think the song that exudes the Jimmy Buffett essence just perfectly is like Barefoot Children in the Rain from Barometer Soup. Are you familiar with that cut? Oh, yeah. Yep. I, that's just it's such the it's so such a a sunny and genuine and and just a good natured it just captures his essence i i love that tune uh and then if you go back you know into the back into the 70s and stuff something like death of an unpopular poet i mean hey man if it's good enough for bob dylan it's good enough for me you know (laughs) i mean you can't go wrong with something like that uh there's so many gems there are so many gems of you know i was just watching a a thing with buffett over the thanksgiving holiday with he was playing with paul brady in dublin in 2019 and uh and they played, now this is a, like a traditional song, but Lakes of Pontchartrain. Now that's the song that I've been trying to memorize. There's like six verses. This is like an old traditional song from, you know, from New Orleans, from Jimmy's kind of stomping grounds and stuff, or one of them. And, uh, and it was really cool to, to hear that. So it's cool to keep discovering, you know, songs by and because of these favorite artists of mine. Uh, well, I don't know. How would you answer that question? The Buffett? I, I realize I didn't really answer, <laughs> answer it, but there's, I, gosh, it's a thinker. I'd have to think on that. But do you have one you go to? There's one that I really, really, really love that, as far as I know, he's only played twice, and that would be Nobody Speaks to the Captain No More. You bet. You bet. Yeah. yeah. From ni- 1986, I think that one came out. Yep. That's that's great storytelling. I wrote a song called, uh, it's not on this record, what's it called? Captain Out with a Bang, which, which I mean, you know, I, I, I think that the, the impetus of writing a song about a captain was seated in Jimmy Buffett's uh, Nobody Speaks to the Captain No More. So, How about that? Now, is that a song you can, not to put you on the spot, readily play? <laughs> yeah, let's give it a shot. I'd like to hear that. Sure. Sure. I think the story kind of speaks for itself. So I, I, I probably don't really even need to introduce it too much, but um, I'll give it a whirl. And I, I think I should be able to do it here and get through it. I like this song. So we'll put it on the next record. But anyway, Captain Out with a Bang here. 
smell Candy floss and tobacco Seeking games there He was hungry, young, and wacko One summer night He liberated Crooked councilman's car And he took a leggy blonde out to a dive bra bar But that baby kisser Showed up with his gang Captain out with a bang Now the councilman failed To pay his income tax So Cap's got the car That blondes in front And their babies in the back they found a cottage by the ocean Bought some fishing boats They said he ran them hard But he kept the fleet afloat Then one day on the Atlantic Looking for bluefish He found a storm off Tucker Nuck Island A fisherman's death wish that Boston whaler started rolling And she flipped on the third wave Upside down on a sandbar With just his life to save Well he tied on to the anchor And pulled his knife On the hall he edged to goodbye To his son and his wife when a maritime defiant appeared Piloted by his old man He said, you better jump in, son Supper's getting cold on the mainland Plucked from the sea, spared from a sad refrain Captain out with a bang Went on to go fishing With crooks and joes and presidents He lived comfortably as a member Of the Maritime's eyeball residence Never had any use for wasting time. So he knew what to do when he started losing his mind. Fuel up on pills and whiskey. He headed out on the boat. They found it at EO Point and read his simple note. Boys, the fat lady sang Captain out with the bang Thank that, you, Sarah. Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. You bet. So it seems like a, a recurring theme in your songs, and especially if you look at this Imagination in Focus album, which mm -hmm. I want to tell everybody out there, if they want to hear it, 
they can go to davemartin.hearnow.com. And from there, you can listen right from there, but also it takes you to all the usual places, Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, Deezer, all that. There's a character song, and some people out there might be familiar. He was a famous pitcher, Cal McClish. Yes, yes. What inspired you to write about him? So that song came about as a result of uh, my dad. And he, my dad was a baseball player, and his dad was a baseball enthusiast. So my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, and uh, and he was – uh, my grandfather that I'm referring to, he was a storyteller and a musician in his own right. He played the piano and stuff, and he was a he was a salesman, a car salesman, you know, and uh, uh, very much the part kind of a, a very charming guy. But anyway, he used to when my dad was growing up and playing ball in the backyard. I guess my grandfather used to kind of rattle off this name. Calvin, Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscahoma, McGlish, Mikey, Mike, Mike is my dad. He called him Mikey. And he, I don't know, just kind of wrap around that a little bit. It, it turns out it was the given name. You know, when my dad was a little kid, he thought, oh, this guy's just crazy. He's screwing around or whatever. But it, it was actually, he was a real ball player. And his, his real given name was Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscahoma, McGlish. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the story goes that Cal, the guy said that, you know, that he was the seventh child born uh, in his family and that his mother named all the previous children and she allowed her husband, his father, to name him. So the father had to make up for lost time and gave him all these names, you know, to catch up kind of <laughs> because he hadn't named any of the previous kids they'd had. So but but that was his name. And he, it's an oddball story because you know, he was he was kind of a journeyman pitcher in the major leagues. And but he did pitch in one all star game. He was a 20 game winner one year and he, he was ambidextrous. He could throw left and right handed. And so, you know, that just kind of adds to the oddball quirky quality of the story. But then when I, you know, and I found out that he was he left the game for a period of time and, and went over to fight in World War Two, like a number of those guys did back then. And I just thought, you know, I mean, all the elements, this is this stuff is like, this is perfect. This guy needs a folk song. If anyone needed ever needed a folk song, it was Cal McGlish, this journeyman pitcher who was ambidextrous, who went and fought in World War II and had like six names or whatever. Like this guy needed a folk song. So I wrote one for him. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the story behind it. Now, I'll, I'll play it for you here. So... So here we go. All right. Yeah, please enjoy Cal McGlish here. John was a brawny man. Lula was a cute little dish. The seventh born child was named. Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscahoma, Malish. He was born in Caddo County in a dugout with a dirt floor. His dad gave him two names and then he gave him three more. You see, Lula alone had done the naming, 
Of all their daughters and sons, John figured he had to play catch up when given permission to name the seventh one. So with a nod to history and home, he spoke his wish. Baby boy shall be Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscaloosa, Wish. Cal was a strong boy, kind eyes and a shock of black hair. He loved going to the park to watch baseball sail through the air. And a couple of years on down the line, he took to swinging the lumber. He brought a lot of passion to the play, but he never could put up the numbers. But left or right-handed, he could get the ball over the dish. The secret weapon, the ambidextrous Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscaloosa, and the Glish. He went and fought the war, came home and played for a few different teams. And he notched 20 wins one year, even pitched in the All-Star game. Still, when you boil it all down, the most notable thing is his name, and it rolls right off the tongue. Sing along if you wish. It's the one and only. There's only one. Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscaloosa, English. That's Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscaloosa, English. Yeah, Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscaloosa, English. And with all the vowels and consonants and people and things to choose from, isn't it just like us? During his playing days, his nickname was Bus, <laughs> and that's a true story. Very clever, very clever. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Dave. You bet. Thank you. <laughs> What would you say has been the best compliment you've received as an artist? Yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, and it'll be interesting now when we can have live music again someday after all this, because there there really is a singular thing that takes place. I think when you're there with a group of people, whether you you know whether you be um, performing or, or in the audience, it's it's like it's a participatory thing from all stakeholders. I think to put it very clinically, but um, it you know. It is. It's 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 a shared experience, and it can be powerful and, and moving. I think for in a lot of ways. So I'm always delighted when people come up after I play and they said, you know, I was really laughing at this, or, or you know, this really resonated with me. In fact, I just you know I just played the the Cal McGlish song uh, about the coolest thing that's ever happened to me on Facebook is that, and this is like three years ago. I'm sitting there on the couch. And I just log in or whatever to Facebook. Got a message. It was from Cal McGlish's daughter, and and this is a true story. And she she reached out. She her brother was like looking for footage of their dad playing ball on YouTube, 
and he came across some version of the song, you know, something that ended up on there because that was before I ever put it up on YouTube, but it was up there, I guess, or something. And they found it and listened to it. And she was like, you know, what a perfect song to, for my dad. I, I loved it. And and so that was that was so unbelievably cool to hear that, you know. But so it's it's things like that. And, you know, I mean, some of the stuff that you said at the beginning of, of our talk, it, it's things like those that, that really, uh, you know, keep me driving at it and, and fuel me and validate things, you know, for me, like uh, people draw the Steve Goodman comparison. People have said, you know, Buffett, uh, white sport coat and pink crustacean, the, you know, a guy I walked off stage one night and he said, you know, this is, this, this to me is like a companion piece to that. And, <laughs> and he, and, he, and I mean, what, for me, it just doesn't, that's about it. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm good for, for another year and a half. I can play for the, for the next year and a half and have no one show up because I got that in my back pocket, you know, so. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Dave, would you say that there is a greater purpose to the music that you make then um then simple enjoyment is there something that is yeah is what it's all about for you yeah that's that's a good question i think that uh you know on its face these are folk songs and so they're not very cordy and they're not very inaccessible and if you like to have fun and like a good turn of phrase, I, I think you I think you like the music. And, um, you know, and sometimes, though, Paul, to your question, when I'm writing them, it, it doesn't it doesn't always feel, you know, I think that when you put it across, you try to try to put it across seamlessly and effortlessly, sort of. But it does take work to, to write them. And, uh, you know, and also to to answer your question further and maybe in a different dimension or something or another element to this answer i uh i think it's a cool thing to do to be able to bring people together with a song or a handful of songs that you play and to be the agent of that shared experience like i was talking about when you listen to live music and you like it and everyone sort of puts their their stuff down for for the time being and just has that shared experience of listening to songs and and kind of grooving on it or whatever they do that's pretty neat so it's it's cool to be witness and and an agent of that i think and uh i you know making records is it, it it's it's a statement that you're putting out to the world and so it's kind of cool to be able to look back and say okay at this point in my life this is what I was thinking about. This is what I was talking about, you know. So I enjoy I enjoy doing it, and I like it for those reasons. You put this very well, Dave. Well, thank you, Paul. <laughs> of course. What would you say is the best thing about being Dave Martin? <laughs> the best thing about being Dave Martin, huh? Huh. Well, you know, I think it I think it is good and to be sort of known as the funny guy because sometimes people don't expect that much from you too. So I I'm I'll, I'll take those sort of um modest expectations <laughs> and meet them and exceed them to be able to do that is fun, but you know, I I think that that uh 
I think that I have a, a genuinely pretty um, fun-loving spirit and a pretty open heart and open mind. And I think that people who know me and like me would <laughs> would tell you that. And and uh, so I think I bring that to the table sometimes. <laughs> and so that's so that's fun. Anybody out there, if you want to check out the album Imagination and Focus, you can go to Dave Martin dot hearnow.com you can also check out davemartinmusic.org i always like to give the artist the stage on this show and Mm -hmm. music is something that just it has a tremendous potential for people to hear to identify to understand to come together for anyone who's tuned in what would you say to those people who are listening to us right now? I would say to them that I, uh, well, you've made it this far, so thank you, because we're about 50 minutes in now, so thank you for listening. And, and I welcome you to uh, explore my music, certainly, and up to this point, thank you, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, and Come on the journey with me. It's fun. You know, throughout this interview, I was thinking about an old tradition that we I had when I was first starting in radio. And uh, I, I, I don't know, and I don't want to put you on the spot. I would like to kind of bring that back, if possible. And that is, what we used to do is for the last song of the show, we would play something that was kind of slow, kind of uh, a little bit more... I don't know what you would say, touching maybe, or maybe a little more pensive. Is there a song in the Dave Martin catalog that would maybe fit for a nice farewell for the listeners? Sure, you bet. Yeah, I got some ballads, and I like the ballads, I do. Um, So from that record that we just put out, well, why don't I do the Kid on the Farm song? That's a good one. This is... Well, thanks. This is a song, uh, kind of a remembrance of my time. As I mentioned earlier, uh, my dad's from Chicago. My mom's an Iowa farm kid. So, you know, that was another big input in my early life, hanging out with farmers and my grandfather. And I, I just loved their dry wit, their wisdom, their poise and cool. Just wrangling cantankerous machinery and <laughs> ornery livestock and whatever. Not too much scared them or excited them. And I I like that stoicism. And so, you know, I used to, growing up, as I did sort of in around Chicago, because I I grew up in suburban Chicago, and going out to the farm was such a departure. And it was an adventure to me. It felt like a sense of adventure. Felt like a sense of purpose always happening out there with the work that they were doing, bringing in the the crop with the harvest in the fall before the bad weather. It's like there was stuff at stake. And so there's always this awesome quality to it all to me. And uh, so, you know, my, my grandfather, actually, that's another story. But the family farm, my grandfather's farm, 400 acres, it was won, so they say, in a in a poker game. By his uncle, <laughs> he won. He came out on a lucky hand of poker. He won 400 acre, you know, 
family farm, what became the family farm. I mean, what a great Americana flavored story that is, you know. So anyway, but yeah, so I'll play this song here, kind of the kid on the farm about hanging out with my grandfather and then having that chapter close, you know, ultimately is everything does in, in the final analysis. So here it is. good times as a kid on the farm my grandfather taught me the story of how we got here from Spook and Dyke Hill all it took was his crazy uncle winning at poker and saying 400 acres ought to fit the bill Approaching from Washburn Road, the big silo was the first thing that you'd see. Soon the farm was in view, they were waving at you. It always felt like coming home to me. From the time I was four, I was glued to his side A love of the land will not be denied And we'd hit the fields with lunch and a pail bed linens and tow Or I'd sleep a while on the long days sit on his lap and he let me steer down the rows approaching from Washburn Road the big silo was the first thing that you'd see soon the farm was in view they were waving at you it always felt like Coming home to me I was a young man Setting out to make my rounds When he and my grandma left the farm And moved into town Last night there I realized The tender age had come to an end Well, we buried him this summer But what a privilege for a boy To have known such a man among men Approaching from Washburn Road The big silo was the first thing that you'd see 
Soon the farmers and mule, they were waving at you. It always felt like coming home to me. Oh, it always felt like coming home to me. Thank you, Paul. I liked all the songs, but I have to say, and I'm a, a sucker for a good ballad, that was probably my favorite. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a sentimental favorite of mine as well, and a lot of my family members who knew that relationship and knew my grandfather, you know? Yeah. Well, Dave Martin, thank you for taking us on this musical journey. Thank you for letting us get to know you. You bet. Thank you for, for being on it with me, and, and thanks, Paul, for directing the traffic here. I really appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> I appreciate it, too. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, my best to you. All right. All right my best to you. Thanks, Paul. Good night. Good night. Ba-ba doodly beep ba Ba-dee-da, a-dee-pum-pity-boo-ra-pity-ka-na-sa-jee-pop-ki-la-ka-na-sa-gil-le-pon-da-goo-le-pon-da-goo-le-pon-da-goo-le-pon-da-goo-le-pon-da-goo-